Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I have shared this story at least once before, but in kind of uh, solidarity with my dad repeating stories from my childhood over and over again to my kids, I'm going to tell it again to you guys. When my kids and I are talking about how well they're listening and my mom and dad are around, a lot of times my dad will repeat this story. He talks about uh, this as a kind of representation to my kids at how well I listened when I was a child. And it all has to do with us walking down the stairs together in our two-story house in Chesterfield County. And allegedly, you know, because I don't remember, and I, you know, maybe I wasn't even really there when it happened, but allegedly as we were walking down the stairs, my dad told me to hold the rail, right? A very intelligent thing to do, something that he should be telling me to do as a dad. And apparently, allegedly, I did not hold the rail on the way down the stairs. So at the bottom of the stairs, and this is my dad's favorite part, my, at the bottom of my stairs, of the stairs, my dad asked me, Robert, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And I, being an unsuspecting, you know, child, didn't think very wisely about what my response would be. And I said, Dad, I didn't hear you tell me to hold the rail. Right, now, some of you have caught that, which I'm really glad for, because my dad always likes to point out, you know, see, you notice what I did there. I didn't repeat what I had said, and yet somehow your dad, you know, talking to my kids, somehow your dad knew exactly what I had said because he had actually heard me, he just refused to do it. Now, older, wiser Rob knows that now that if I want to ignore someone, I don't respond with what they had just told me, you know, that I'm supposed to be ignoring. So I, I've, I've kind of learned that lesson now. I know how to ignore people a little bit better now. And so dad tells that story, you know, for the umpteenth time and, and the kids chuckle and they enjoy it and I just kind of shake my head. But there's another layer, a d deeper layer to the story, a more human layer to that, that is quite often indicative of what's really happening when we don't do the things that we know we ought to do. Whereas we might feign ignorance, we actually know better and just don't want to admit it. Even if my dad had not told me to hold the rail, like maybe he, maybe he forgot what, what actually happened. Maybe he didn't actually tell me to hold on to the rail, whatever it was in my, in my mind, in my subconscious, wherever it was, I already knew exactly what I was supposed to be doing. That's why I was able to come up with that, that answer. I already knew. Who knows what my motivation was at the time? Maybe I hadn't really heard my dad's reminder. Maybe I just thought, hey, I'm a big boy now, and big boys don't need the rail because <laughs> you won't fall and hurt yourself, right? Um, even though it worked out at that time, not holding the rail could have been pretty detrimental to my well-being. And I loved my dad, and I still do. And I had faith in him as a father that he was looking out for me. He had my best interests in, my, in mind. He knew more than me and understood the consequences of my action or inaction much deeper than I did. And yet, if I didn't do what he said, and I didn't put into practice what he taught me, even if I didn't understand all the complexity of the decisions that he was making for me and helping me to make, did I really have much faith in him as a father? And it's this question that James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, centers, well, in, in, my, in my thinking, as he writes his letter of James, this is one of the major themes that he puts into practice as he writes a letter to all the Jewish Christians who are scattered around about what it looks like to actually put faith in Jesus and how Jesus has changed what it looks like to follow God. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be reading through and we're going to be studying through James. And we're not going to do this linearly, so we're not going to go like verse 1 
1, verse 2, verse 3, you know, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a, a couple different major themes over the next few weeks, but I want to encourage you to be reading, especially if you have never read James before, go ahead and read through James. It's only five chapters, very manageable. This week, you could get up each morning and read a chapter of James a day and have it read by the, by the time Friday rolls around. You could read through it four times, you know, the whole, whole letter four times as we go through uh, this sermon series over the next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to do that because one of the most important things that James does is James sets really practical, pragmatic reminders and examples of what it means to live out of faith, what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus and to walk and talk like Jesus and to not just believe in Jesus, but to actually follow him. And not to get bogged down in semantics, but somehow along the way, there does seem to be a little bit of separation between what it means to believe in Jesus versus how scripture describes it and what we think of when we think of believe. Somewhere along the way in church history, and I have some ideas of what this is, but <clears throat> this sermon is not about that. Believing in Jesus got separated from walking and talking like Jesus. Belief often is reduced to an intellectual exercise where we think this in our head, yes, God, I believe you, but it doesn't always go anywhere else from there. Sometimes it just remains an intellectual exercise and without accompanying appropriate action, that's not really belief at all. The parable that Jesus uses that wraps up the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 sums this up quite succinctly. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And some of you that know that parable know that he goes on to describe what it, means, it looks like to be a foolish person and how that practically affects our lives. And so when it comes to reading and studying God's word through the Bible, the most basic things we're called to walk away from is asking the text, okay, what does God want me to know? And what does God want me to feel as I'm reading through James this week? You know, these are the, these are the questions that I'm asking. And the third one is, what does God want me to do? And so James is reminding his fellow brothers and sisters of what they need to do as a result of who God is and what he has done. So let's start in James chapter 1, verse 22, verse 25, and here's what James says. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so Jesus, uh, J James, uh, kind of starts off with in this passage revealing a very important truth. Listening without doing is a form of deception. And it's the quickest way to kill any relationship. It's the one who's doing the ignoring, though, who's often the last to realize that uh, the deception hasn't worked. And James is reminding us to not forget who we are because of whose we are. You know, we th think that maybe sometimes when we're in a relationship with, so with someone and we don't actually live the way that they would like us to in that relationship, that maybe they won't notice for a while. I mean, that, that's just kind of how we act subconsciously when we listen and we don't do what they've asked us to do. But those people know, just like we do, when we're on the other side of that relationship. And this mirror metaphor that James uses, it might seem like an example of absurdity, but think about this just a little bit. And maybe this has to do more with my mirror habits, and, and maybe you think about this a little bit differently. How well do you really know what you look like? I mean, I don't know how much time you spend in front of the mirror, but other than like checking my teeth for food in them, you know, and, and maybe the occasional hanger, you know, because I'm a little bit taller, and uh, I'm always self-conscious about, about that. 
could you really describe someone who describe to someone who's never seen your face? How well could you describe that to them, if if you really had to? Well, I've got a big nose. You know, you know, I don't know. My head's really big. Like what? I don't know how how many freckles I have or the contours of my face. How well I could really describe uh, all of those kinds of things. I mean, I've really never spent that much time looking in the mirror. Mostly because I'm a, not a narcissist, and partly because there's not much else I can do with this. Why are you laughing? It's that's jealousy, right? I mean, that's that's what the, that's what that. Yeah, you're laughing again. Okay, I see how it is. But to James' point, if we just treat the Bible like we do a mirror, where we're just checking to see if our hair is combed without really looking intently and really understanding and examining, and if we're not looking intently into God's Word, we're going to be missing out on who we are and who we're supposed to look like. A quote that stuck with me for the last few years after I stumbled upon it is from Samuel Johnson. He's an English uh, uh, writer from a long time ago, and he said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And I think that uh, has a lot to do with what James is doing when he talks about what it means to live out our faith. You know, it's why we need to gather together in worship, gather together in study and fellowship, why we need to serve and give, why we need to put in practice our faith, because these things keep us grounded on the foundation of Jesus, a foundation of which the worldview of anything outside of God is opposing to him. You know, so when we go out from this place, when we aren't specifically in time with God and being guided and directed uh, to him, there, there's tension in the world around us because of it's been broken by sin. And being reminded is so vital to the health of our faith because the way that scripture defines belief is through obedience. It's through action. It's through doing and, and saying and walking and talking and being like God has called us to be. You know, our faith is, is freeing. But freedom from action isn't faith. But action that is born out of faith, that putting God's word in practice, that is what gives freedom in our lives. And anyone who's been released from the power of guilt and shame from their sin knows that well. The end result is blessing in all that we do. That's what God wants for us in our lives. And this is what James points out in that first passage we read. There's so many implications for being enslaved by sin, but as Christians, the first is losing out on how God wants to bless our lives in a relationship with him. You ever had those moments where you plan to do something really special for someone else, or maybe uh, you were just getting ready to hand them some new responsibility over. Maybe it's at work, you know, a peer or something like that. You're going to work on a project with them. Uh, you're going to surprise somebody with something. Maybe your kids or your spouse with something, and then it all goes wrong. Like right before you're about to have that conversation or right before you, you're going to give that gift or reveal that thing to them, just something, uh, uh, something changes. You know, you get into an argument or it changes the mood or somebody's, somebody's He's got a horrible attitude. Somebody says something that they shouldn't at that time. And you're like, man, that just ruins everything. I was super excited. You know, coming home, let's give a hypothetical example, right? Not true to life at all. But let's say you, you and your wife decide, you know what, let's, let's surprise the kids, take them out for ice cream. You know, it's been kind of a long school week or something like that. And let's just do that to kind of spark joy. And you get home and you talk, the kids are at each other's throats. They're arguing with you, attitude and all that kind of stuff. You know what I do? I tell them, I say, hey, just so you know, we're going to take you out to get ice cream. But guess what? Not anymore. And that's when, that's when it all changed. Is that all right? Can we do that? Oh, sorry. That's hypothetical. So that's not something we've actually done. I forgot. I forgot to say that and uh, keep up with that. Um, 
And then and that's when you hear, hypothetically speaking, oh, so, we're so sorry, like we'll behave, you know, we won't, we won't do this thing. And this doesn't happen with our kids often. Like this is maybe once or twice ever. Um, but yeah, you know what I do? We don't go. <laughs> it's like, no, this is a time, this is a good time for you to kind of learn, learn your lesson and, and you're gonna miss out on this surprise, you're gonna miss out on this blessing because you weren't about what you were supposed to be about. And listen, God is not like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. <laughs> and, and he's not going around looking for ways to get us. You know, oh, I'm going to make you learn your lesson. You know, ice cream for you today. Um, but missing out on the blessing is a byproduct of not remembering to put our faith in, into practice. It's just, just, just a reality of how it works. But missing out on the freedom to be blessed isn't even the worst part. The worst part is this, that when we don't practice our faith, our faith dies. Here's James in chapter two, not mincing any words. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. By the way, that verse right there as a pastor, when, when you hear people, oh, all you got to do is believe in Jesus. You know, I'm always kind of thinking, right, just like the demons. Um, anyway, not as, we didn't get a chuckle out of that. That's okay. <laughs> you foolish person, James says. I, you know. It's always interesting to me when these guys talk like this, you know, but it, it just kind of brings across the force of the point, right? Our, our actions are foolishness or our inaction is foolishness. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without de deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And you can read more about Abraham in Genesis chapter two, 22 and Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. Uh, James, I mean, just covers, covers the spectrum as he talks about like one of the most important patriarchal leaders in the nation of Israel's history, Abraham, all the way through to a Gentile prostitute named, named Rahab. And both of them put into practice their belief in God, and that was credited to, to them as righteousness. I mean, this is, this, is a huge, this is a huge thing that James is pointing, pointing out here. William Barclay sums this up really nicely in his commentary on James. He says, in any well-proportioned life, there must be faith and deeds. It is only through deeds that faith can prove and demonstrate itself, and it is only through faith that deeds will be attempted and done. Faith is bound to overflow into action, and action begins only when a person has faith in some great cause or principle which God has presented to him. I was talking with one of my best friends who's a pastor, and he was telling me about this conversation that he's having with a young guy he's, he's mentoring, and so they're meeting together regularly and, and, and talking about scripture, talking about faith, what it means to put it into, into practice in our life. 
And he said, you know, pretty much every time they talk, um, you know, it's a great conversation as, as those often, often are. But one of the, the patterns, you know, that kind of kept coming up is, is this guy felt really strongly about um, the, uh, people who are poor and people who are experiencing homelessness. And just you know, wanting to see solutions there, wanting to see things change, and really caring. I mean, that's something that's close to the heart of God, and so it's close to His heart. It's amazing. You know, God puts those things into our lives as individuals for us to care about and to do something about. Um, but uh, at one point, my friend asked asked this young man. He said, "Hey, it's great that you care about thing, those things and think something should be done. What are you doing?" And it, you might guess what the answer is. Well, no, nothing. A whole lot of conversation, a whole lot of opinion, a whole lot of ideas, but no action. And so at some point you come to the, and, and this, is, this happens to all of us. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. You, you and I can, can admit this. We, we do this sometimes too. We think, you know what? Somebody should do X, you know, or blank about this thing. Well, somebody is probably you. I mean, somebody is probably me. If we think about it, if it's been put on our heart by the Holy Spirit, we're probably that, that somebody. And, and so when James talks about what it looks like to put faith in action, I mean, it's, it's, it's that. We can have all the opinions in the world. We can have all the ideas. We can have all the intellectual exercise, you know, conversations and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But if we're not doing anything about it, do we really believe that it matters? Is it really something that affects our hearts the way those things affect God's heart? It's great to know about the issues. It's great to know um, how to feel about the issues, how God feels about the issues, and how that should direct how we feel about them. The question is, what are we, what are we doing about it? And listen, I understand some of us have religious backgrounds um, in which we feel, and, and I'm talking about within Christianity, in which we feel like, or we've been taught that we must earn our way into heaven by being good people, by being perfect, by never sinning, all, all of those kinds of things, and in some way, you know, trying to replace what Jesus has done on the cross in our lives. And listen, I, I just want to let you know, I'm not talking about that. And if you're confused about you know, the difference that's there. That's not what this series is about, but we have had a sermon series where we've talked about that. It's called With, and it's based on a book by Scott Jatani. And I've got a picture of it here, and if you need a link to Amazon to get it, um, I, I just want to encourage you to check that out as a primer to kind of identify and work through those, those things. In the meantime, faith in Jesus isn't just about not practicing the wrong stuff. Sometimes we th- maybe we think it's only about not sinning, you know, so I'm trying to not do wrong things. But in reality, it's about replacing that unfaithful behavior with the faith that brings life. I mean, that's what repentance is. That's what it looks like. And when it comes to living that new creation life, all we need to do is have faith when we remember that faith is obedience. So I just want to give you six fundamental things that we're called to do. Just basically, this is not an exhaustive list of all the things, actions that we put into place as followers of Jesus. But these, these are just the basic fundamental things that you, as you read through scripture, as you read through James, as you read through what it looks like to be an active Christian in following Jesus, this is the things that we're called to do. We're called to disciple others and ourselves, you know, be a part of that disciple process, becoming who Jesus is, like Jesus. Um, worship. Worship with one another on a Sunday morning, sure, but worship in everything that we do. All that we do is to the glory of God, to pray, uh, to be in regular, constant communion with God in our prayer life, to study, to read scripture, to know God's word so that we know what to put into practice, to serve, 
to serve one another, to serve others that are outside of the church, to give, to be generous with who we are, with our time, with our money, with our resources, how we share. These are the starting points. And the more that we put them into practice, the more consistent we are in them, the more alive our faith becomes. Jesus writes to his fellow Christians, and he says, hey, as you're walking with Jesus in your life, hold the rail. Because if you don't, if you're not holding a rail, when you stumble, you won't be hanging on to what will keep you from falling. When we see Jesus face to face, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in saying, Jesus, I never heard you tell me to hold the rail. Like, I, I didn't realize that I was supposed to do anything as a result of what you've done on the cross for me. Not only has Jesus told us, he showed us, and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that sustains new life in us, he empowers us to do that as well. That's why we don't look at that and we say, oh, look at all the amazing things I've done, God. Like, I'm an incredible person. No, it's that God at work through us, and it's allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work that produces that action in us, that new creation life that we respond to. And we simply respond to that and put it into practice. You know, what it looks to be like Jesus and what it means to be saved by him and what it means to follow him in our lives. And that can lead to some pretty um, amazing uh, blessing-filled moments. Um, I want to show you a couple pictures. These are before and after picture. Um, so last week, um, one of them's going to show it. There we go. There's a before. Uh, that, that's Seth, if you can't tell, uh, in a pool. And, um, and I didn't leave him there uh, like that. I just want you to know um, there's an after picture there as well. And that's the after picture, and you can, uh, Joe, you can leave that after picture up if you want to. So this is Seth being baptized. Um, and uh, I tell you, you know, I've had the honor and privilege of baptizing Nadia, and I've been able to baptize Seth. Um, and uh, look forward to one day. Uh, prayerfully baptizing Lily as well. And this is a result of um, a year plus, you know, of conversations, of uh, talking, um, you know, and man, I, I was not planning on being emotional about this. So I, uh, I'm not going to apologize for that because it's perfectly legitimate to be so. I just, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't expecting that. Um, and as we talk, as we talk through and, and gone through that process of talking, what it looks like uh, to, to follow God, um, to be like Jesus, you know, and our, I want to, I want to make sure that he knows why he's making the decision. Right. And so that's why we have those conversations of why we read through scripture. Um, and, and why that's a process that we, t we take on. And one of the things that stuck out to me that he said, um, I, I will make it. I, I promise I will. I've got a handkerchief in my back pocket and everything. As he said, I don't want to be separated by God anymore, from God anymore. I don't want to be separated from God anymore. Um, because of what he's done for me through Jesus, um, I want to live for him. And for me, that was the, um, that was the kicker. Because as you talk through that, I mean, he's, uh, he's the son of someone who preaches, right? And so as you talk to that, it's like he knows, oh, this is something I need to be obedient to. Uh, this, I, I know this is something I need to do. Same with Nadia. You know, it's like I, I know uh, because you tell people that's what they should do. 
Um, but there comes a point in our life where the Holy Spirit kind of works, works in us and works in, uh, through us as God is pursuing us that kind of brings us to that connection point of understanding um, what, the, what the issue at stake is. And um, it is, it is life-changing, it is eternity-changing when we realize that without Jesus, we're, we're separated. We're separated from God. Our sin does that. It uh, does that with each other, yeah, right? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the problem. That's the brokenness in our world as a, result, as a result of sin. And God changes all of that. And how amazing is it that he gives us the honor and the privilege of responding to him with our lives? And so after that conversation, you know, several other things that we talked about, um, and we would love to, I, I just didn't have time to get the baptistry ready here to be able to do that on a Sunday morning. So instead we decided to do it in a really cold pool uh, outside. So uh, by the way, that offer is wide open. Uh, if you want to go get baptized in a cold pool or in the river uh, anytime, or we can do it in baptistry here. Um, if that's something that you have never done, if that is a step that you have never taken, I would love to, I would love to talk to you about what it means to kind of put that part of your life, of, the, of your faith into action. And like we talked about before with some of those six fundamental basic things, you know, that, the starting point, it's a starting point. Because honestly, it's not just about what we do in this life. It's about looking forward to an eternal life that we could share with God, that God des desires to share with us. And that's why he created us. Because he, he wants to be with us and he wants for us to be blessed. And that's why we're called to hold the, or, you know, let's even get rid of that metaphor, to hold Jesus' hand. <laughs> you know, to, uh, through, through life, uh, because he brings us to, uh, to a place that, um, you know, isn't, isn't just something that solves all the problems in our life here on this, on this earth. I mean, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect from that point on. It doesn't mean that, you know, somehow because I read the Bible more that, you know, I'm never going to sin uh, again. I mean, that's why we need each other. That's uh, so many other things that we put, put into practice in our life, but it does change the entire trajectory of our life. It changes to an entire eternity with God. That no matter what else is going on, no matter what else is happening, no matter, you know, even if we do stumble and fall down the stairs, God is there always to pick us back up and to bring us along with him. And so in as much as God has given us strength in his Holy Spirit to follow him, may we hold the rail. May we hold Jesus' hand. May we continue to walk and talk with him. May, may our faith be alive through how God has called us to act. Let's, let's pray together. God, when, when we stop to consider the implications of what, what you say in your word, uh, what you have done through, uh, through Jesus, um, it, is, it is an overwhelming thing. It's, it's something that um, when, we, when we truly examine what you have done, whether or not we deserve it, the fact that we don't, and, and yet you still love us only with the condition that we respond to that love. That is an amazing thing. It is a life-changing thing. It is an eternity-changing thing. And God, we, we give you glory and we give you honor for even giving us a choice to say yes to you. God, help us to, to say yes to you continually. Each and every day we ask for the strength from your Holy Spirit to, to guide us and direct us so that we might live more and more like Jesus. 
It's not just about us. It's about the people around us too. And it's about the joy that we get to invite them into and share with them. So God, we praise you as we worship you this morning. We praise you for your grace and your mercy. God, we also praise you for the strength that comes from you to allow us to be who you've called us to be. And what a blessing that can be in our lives, in the lives of those who are around us. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.